If you are here for the first time with us, we are so thankful that you are with us today. There's a few things that we really love here. We love the Word of God. Uh, we believe in a really big God. And so all these things kind of come together, which leads us to then uh, just want to love each other really well. And so if you're here today, uh, we, we pray that you would find your uh, fit here and that you'd uh, kind of jump into what we're doing. But today we're in Joshua chapter 10. And one of my personal favorite stories in the book of Joshua and I think it's fair to say uh, that this was a big day in Israel's history. In fact, it says that there was, there was no other day like it. You know, so far we've seen several big days in the book of Joshua. We saw God parting the Jordan River and all of God's people walking through it on dry ground. You know, that was a big day. You know, we saw God's people walk around the walls of Jericho, uh, blowing their trumpets and the walls falling down. You know, that also was a big day. We've seen uh, big days that weren't so good. Uh, like last week, God's people were tricked into making a covenant with their enemy. Uh, it was a big day, just not a good one. And this week in Joshua chapter 10, we see another big day where the sun stands still. And this is a big day where we're going to see another miracle. And we'll get into the story in a few minutes, uh, but I, want you to, I just want you to think about this idea of big days. You know, this is something we see often throughout history, like massive shifts happening on a single day, like storming the beaches of Normandy in World War II totally shifted the war. December 26, 1991, the Soviet Union collapsed, the Cold War ended, and in a day, the lives of 290 million people were dramatically changed. You know, the day a prisoner gets set free, the day someone receives a massive inheritance, or the day someone gets married or has a first baby. These are all monumental shifts in the lives of people. And for Christians, the day someone becomes, uh, says yes to Jesus and responds in faith, that is a big day. And so I think we can all agree that big days, yes, they are a big deal. And something that I personally have to constantly wrestle with is the balance between the mundane, everyday life and chasing after those big days. Like we love uh, those big days. We love seeing those massive major shifts in our life, but only as long as they go how we want them to go. You know, big days are fun when they fall in our favor. But I think we can all agree that they're not so much fun when they don't fall in our favor. And so it innately makes us a bit nervous, like fearful, maybe, maybe a bit hesitant, like, well, what if it doesn't go well? I mean, just imagine if, the, if storming the beaches of Normandy didn't go well, or if the Soviet Union never collapsed, or if those prisoners never get set free. I and mean, we could go on and on looking at all the big what ifs of those big days. And I think we have all at some level experienced those big days going a little sour. You know, what can happen for us is it can make us just really pessimistic about big days. Like it never feels, it fails. Every year, my college uh, football team seems is projected to be good. And this, last, this past year, just like, the, it, like their star quarterback gets hurt and he's out for the season. And it simply just fuels the pessimism and causes me to continually ignore any ounce of hope for my college football team. And I want to bring all this up because I think if we're honest, we can often treat our faith in the same vein. Like we can all too easily be led into despair or hopelessness if things don't go our way. But more specifically for today, we can all too easily treat prayer this way. Yes, today's story is a big day, seeing an incredible miracle, like God makes the sun stand still. But the incredible part is not the miracle, but rather that it, it, that it happened because Joshua asked God to do it, and then God did it. 
And as we'll see, this was already going to be a good day. God promised them victory, but because Joshua courageously prayed for a miracle, it became a monumental day. Like Joshua's prayer, it poured fuel on the fire of what God was already doing, and it made it an extremely big day. And so today, without a doubt, is a faith-stirring story that will show us our main idea, that God answers impossible prayers. That's where we're going today. And that's really our only point. Today is a one-point sermon. And we're going to hammer that one point over and over again. And so my hope and prayer for today is that we all each leaving, uh, leave believing and asking God to do the impossible. Like that's the title of this entire series, God of the Impossible. You know, at the very beginning of our series, we all wrote down on a, on a prayer card what we were believing God could do. And I want us to just kind of think back to that and be thinking back to those things of what we're praying for God to restore or what God could defeat or who God could save. Because today we're going to see that God answers impossible prayers. And so, yes, I do have a, a one, we do have a one point sermon, but I want you to think of today a little bit like a car ride, okay? We're going to have that one final destination of our one point, but on our journey, we're going to see several things along the way. And so we're going to walk through uh, verses 1 to 15, tell the story. It's about 15 to 20 minutes. So I'm going to, I'm going to point out uh, several things kind of as we're telling the story, and then it's like we're going to stop. We're going to look at this one point, and it's going to feel like we've gotten to our final destination because I'm, I'm going to start to really hammer it, Okay. But we're not going to be done yet. We're going to get back in the car, and it's going to feel like a detour. And all of a sudden, we're going to, we're going to realize, oh, wait, now we're here. And so hang with me on our journey as we make it all the way to verse 28 in Joshua 10, uh, seeing God answer impossible prayers. So that's where we're going, but I, don't want you to get, but I don't want us to get there without first remembering where we are in the book of Joshua. And so far, we've seen God call Joshua to lead his people into this specific land that God promised to give them, uh, where he called them to be strong and courageous, to obey all that he commanded them. We saw God, like we've said, see, uh, do two miraculous events uh, through the Jordan River and the, and the walls of Jericho falling down. And we saw the sin of Achan and how it had infected their entire community. And then God uh, re redeemed them. They defeated Ai. And then last week, we saw Israel deceived by the Gibeonites. And you know, it has been a roller coaster of ups and downs, highs and lows. It's like hero uh, to zero, back to hero, and then zero again. Like last week, we saw Israel, they cut a deal and a peace treaty with their enemy. And it was done through total deception. And then at the end of chapter 9, so uh, that, that, that was the end of chapter 9, so here we are back in the pits with Joshua and Israel. Like they've messed up big time. And this is really important to note because they don't come into our famous chapter 10 on a high note. No, they came in in the pits. And as we begin our journey today, maybe that's how you get into our car. Maybe with a mistake on your mind, maybe burdened by it. Or maybe you're not in the, the total pits, but maybe you're just tired and worn out or beat down. Maybe from the, just the mundane light or from the life or from parenting or from a job that you don't love. Or maybe you're on the other side of that big day that just did not fall in your direction. You know what? I also wouldn't be surprised if you're just tired of hope. Like you're just tired of hoping for hope. Because every time you get hopeful, you get let down. I know I've been there. Maybe it's hope of a new friend or a spouse or a job opportunity. Whatever it is, just maybe, life seems like it's in the pits. Again, this is where the people of Israel are. They just cut a deal with their enemy, and it was a total scam, and now they're having to learn to live with it. 
Look what it says in chapter 10 of verses 1 through 4. As soon as Adonai, Zedek, king of Jerusalem, heard how Joshua had captured Ai and had devoted it to destruction, doing, uh, do, doing to Ai and its kings as he had done to Jericho and its kings, now the inhabitants of Gibeon had made peace with Israel and were among them, he feared greatly because Gibeon was a great city, like one of the royal cities, and because it was, a greater, because it was greater than Ai, and all its men were warriors. So Adonai, Zedek, king of Jerusalem, sent to Hoham, king of Hebron, to Piram, king of Jarmuth, to Japhia, king of Lachish, and to Deber, king of Eglon, saying, Come up to me and help me, and let us strike Gibeon, for it has made peace with Joshua and with the people of Israel. And maybe all you just heard there were a bunch of crazy names that I totally just butchered, okay? And so let me explain. I know we saw back in chapter 9 that there were multiple cities. They were all kind of teaming up to fight against Israel. And they saw an inch of hope in how, how like, one city defeated, uh, w- like, defeated Israel briefly back at Ai. And they thought, maybe if we team up together, then we'll be better off. And not only that, they just heard that Israel was teamed up with the Gibeonites, who it says, we just read, they were a royal city. So these Gibeonites that Israel has now cut a deal with, they were a big deal. And so they get afraid, and these kings and their cities, they all band together. Look what it says in verse 5. Then the five kings of the Amorites, the king of Jerusalem, the king of Hebron, the king of Jarmuth, the king of Lachish, and the king of Eglon, gathered their forces and went up with all their armies and encamped against Gibeon and made war against it. And so just think about this. These five kings and cities, they all kind of band together and they declare war against Gibeon, who, oh, by the way, they're with Israel now. And look what it says next in verse 6. And the men of Gibeon sent to Joshua at the camp in Gilgal, saying, Do not relax your hand from your servants. Come up to us quickly and save us and help us. For all the kings of Amorites who dwell in the hill country are gathered against us. And so I don't know about you, but it seems like that deal that Israel cut with the uh, Gibeonites just went from bad to worse. So not only did God's people cut a deal with their enemy through deception, but now they get all of their baggage that comes with it. Like these people that Israel just took in have caused them more problems. So they have five kings that just set up uh, their army to go to war against them. Like this is one of those uh, moments when we just say, when it rains, it pours. Like their mistake just got a lot worse, and then this is often when we want to throw in the towel and just give up. Again, maybe that's where you are. In the pits, discouraged, just beating yourself up because nothing is falling your way, and you just keep falling short over and over and over again. It's like, well, well God, what happened to redemption? Like, what is, why is this happening? And I just want you to hear from me today to hang on. Like, hold tight. Because although we can't see what God is doing, God is always working behind the seams. Always, always working. You know what? Joshua held tight. He didn't throw in the towel. Uh, No, just like we saw last week, Joshua accepted responsibility and he kept the promise he made with the Gibeonites. Look at verse 7. So Joshua went from Gilgal, he and all the people of war, with him and all the mighty men of valor. So again, Joshua could have thrown in the towel and given up. Joshua could have complained about it. Joshua could have been angry with the Gibeonites, but that's not what Joshua did. He kept his word. He hung on tight. He stood steadfast in faith, and look what God said to him. And the Lord said to Joshua, Do not fear them, for I have given them into your hands. Not a man of them shall stand before you. And so what does God do in this low moment? God reminds him of his call, and he gives him a promise. 
Back in Joshua chapter 1, God said three times to Joshua, be strong and courageous, that he would give them this land. It was a promise. And why did God call Joshua to be strong and courageous? Because Joshua knew he could not do this in his own strength and power. Like he was full of fear. Joshua needed courage for the exact reason that he was fearful. We said this several weeks ago. Courage isn't needed if fear isn't present. And God here says to Joshua, do not fear. I have given them into your hand. Just think about the sweetness of this moment, right? Joshua had an incredibly low moment. Things just went from bad to worse. He could have thrown in the towel, but no, he chose faith and obedience and to walk in the Lord's ways. And when he did that, what did God do? God breathed life into his sails and he gave him a promise of victory. New City, listen to me. Like in those low moments in our life, we must hold on to the promises of God. Like we hold on to the promises that we have of eternal life where everything will be made totally new. We hold on to the promise that we are loved by God, that we have access to him and that he calls us his children. We, we hold on to the promise that God's power is perfected in our weakness, that God is making us. He is making us into a new creation and that God has not abandoned us and that he will not abandon us. We have a promise that God will absolutely build his church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. You know, there are so many promises to cling to in those low moments. and We must recall them and cling to them. And when Joshua heard the promise of victory, look what it did in verse 9 and 10. So Joshua came upon them suddenly, having marched up all night from Gilgal, and the Lord threw them into a panic before Israel, who struck them with a great blow at Gibeon and chased them by the way of ascent to Beth Haran and struck them as far as Azekah, Makeda. Again, so just kind of imagine the scene with me. Like Joshua in this moment was full of faith and courage. He was because of a promise of victory. And he got up and he marched towards his enemies that were all banded together. I mean, just imagine the Gibeonites and all the people of Israel. They were following Joshua in this moment. They were going full speed ahead. They were marching towards these kings. They didn't have a fear in their bones. I mean, just imagine marching, Joshua marching up and emboldening his entire army, army just saying, let's go, boys. It is time to go. We have got this thing. But all the while, they're, they're not really sure how it's going to happen uh, because he's basically marching without any plan of attack. You know, in the past, God, God told them to take the ark and step into the water. And he also told them to march around the walls and blow the trumpet and the walls would fall down. Like they seemed like crazy plans, but they were plans nonetheless. But this time, uh, from what we just read, there was no plan. God just said, I have given them to you. None of their men will stand before you. The plan was just to go and fight. And like, okay, cool, let's go into battle. So they march up, and then I love this. God puts their opponents in a panic, like weakening their, own, their army, and Israel begins to go to battle. And this is when it gets crazy. Look at verse 11. And as they fled before Israel, while they were going down the ascent of Beth Haran, the Lord threw down large stones from heaven on them as far as Azekah, and they died. There were more who died because of the hailstones than the sons of Israel killed with a sword. I mean, what a scene. Can you imagine the awe and wonder of the, just the extreme craziness of this? Just imagine being out in a battlefield in the middle of a war and large boulders are, like, are literally falling from the sky and only hitting your enemy and not you. And no, this is, this is not like a chicken little thing. No, like boulders are literally falling from the sky. This seems like one of those crazy cheat codes in a video game. 
Like you're about to draw your sword and then a boulder that squashes the guy. At some point in the battle, I'd assume within about two minutes of them picking up on what was happening, they had to just be in total awe of what God was doing. Just mouths dropping, swords on their sides, just watching it all unbefore them. Like this was a big day. And let's not forget that this all started with the tragic situation. This all started with God's people making a big mistake, getting into a deal with their enemy, and multiple armies were against them because of the Gibeonites. And then what did God do? Just like we saw last week, God turned a tragedy into a triumph. God used their mistake to show off his power and wonder. And, and not, just that, but not just that, but also he showed his steadfast love and his faithfulness to his, to his people. Listen, church, this is the heart of our God. God did not use their mistakes against them. No, he stepped in in spite of their mistakes. And God showed off and kept his word anyways. New City, this is what God does. In our mistakes, God does not push us away. No, he draws us in. And we, why? Because God is merciful and gracious and slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. In his steadfast love, it endures forever. It never stops. Y'all, God could have totally cut them off, but he didn't. No, he didn't cut them off. He showed off. He displayed his power and glory and faithfulness right after a really big mistake. Y'all, this is the grace of God that never gets old. This is what God does for his children. Day in and day out, even when we mess up, he says to us, come and sit with me. Like, just come and be at my table. New City, this is the heart of God. And y'all, this is so good. But let's just remember, we're just pointing these things out along our journey. And as we get back to the story, what is, the ba- what is so baffling to me about this entire story is this next part. Look what it says in verses 12 and 13. At that time, Joshua spoke to the Lord in the day when the Lord gave the Amorites over to the sons of Israel. And he said in the sight of Israel, Sun, stand still at Gibeon, and moon in the valley of Ahijan. And the sun stood still, and the moon stopped, and the nation took vengeance on their enemies. Is this not written in the book of Jashar? The sun stopped in the midst of heaven and did not hurry to set for about a whole day. New City, this is just plain crazy. Like, this is baffling to me. And I want to point out here on our journey, kind of while we're driving towards this one big idea, that it says the sun stood still and the moon stopped. Y'all, this is just crazy. Like a total miracle. But I must say, what is crazy about this is not the miracle. Which if we look at modern day scholarship, they will look at this and say, well, this is just silly. Like you really believe the sun and the moon stopped? Like totally stopped? You know, and I don't want to spend too much time on this, but I, I, do, I do want to say, yes, absolutely. I believe this. We should believe this. Because just like every other miracle in the Bible with parting of the Red Sea and the Jordan River and the walls of Jericho and Jonah getting swallowed by a a big fish and all of Jesus's miracles, all of them, yes, seem silly and illogical apart from the hand of God. Like, why would we believe that God created the world and put the sun and moon in motion and then struggle to believe that the same God can also make that same sun and moon stand still whenever he wanted Either God is God or he's not. This is just logic. And I've said this before in this series, but again, if we're going to focus on a miracle to try to invalidate the Bible, the place to focus is not on this miracle. No, the place to focus is to ask, did Jesus truly rise from the dead? 
Because if that happened, none of these other things are too hard to explain. Either God exists or he doesn't. Either Jesus was God or he wasn't. And again, the sun standing still does not validate or invalidate the reliability of the Bible. No, the resurrection of Jesus does this. But again, that's, uh, this is just along the way. That's not the point for today. Because again, the crazy part for this story, the baffling part of this entire encounter is not the miracle. But rather, it's that God did the miracle at Joshua's request. Like that is the crazy and baffling part. Joshua prayed for a miracle and then it actually happened. Look at verse 14. It says, There has been no day like it before or since when the Lord heeded the voice of a man. For the Lord fought for Israel. I mean, let's just stop and think about this. Again, Joshua was at a low point, and then God made, spoke a promise to him that they would win. He goes into battle, and we don't know the exact timing of when he said this prayer. If I had to guess, I would think he said this prayer when, the, when he saw the hailstones coming from the sky, like falling on their enemies, kind of like, God, keep this up. Let's not stop this thing. Or who knows? Maybe he said it before that, like before the sky started to fall. But regardless of when he said it, the point is, is that he said it. I mean, just imagine this with me. I mean, Joshua stops what he's doing. Like he stares at the sky. He cries out to God and says, sun, stand still. Like moon, stop. And God actually made the sun and the moon stop. Like God listened to the voice of Joshua. Like this is so bizarre to me. I mean, this is the courage and the audacity for Joshua to ask God to stop the sun and the moon. I mean, when God called Joshua to be strong and courageous back in chapter 1, and God told him to fear not, reminding him to be courageous, this was the result. Joshua courageously prayed for a miracle, for a crazy, ridiculous, illogical miracle, and then God actually did it. And what we can't miss here is how this happened, because Joshua heard the promise of God, he knew the Lord's plan of victory. He walked in obedience. He saw God working, and then he prayed towards what God was already doing. Joshua prayed in line with God's promise of victory. He saw God accomplishing his promised plan, and Joshua cried out to God with courage to say, God, make the sun and the moon stop. Who knows? Maybe they thought they just needed more time or more daylight to defeat the battle. Maybe he saw the favor of God among them and was begging God in that moment for the purpose of continuing to see more of God's favor. You know, if you remember going into battle, God didn't give Joshua clear instructions that we really know of. But what we do know is that Joshua saw God working and he prayed a prayer for God to continue to do more of what he was already doing. Joshua knew God called him to fear not. Joshua knew God called him into battle. Joshua knew he had a promise of victory, and so he cried out to God for the sun and the moon to stop. And God heeded his voice, and he did it. God stopped them both. In New City, this is the moment on our journey, on our car ride, when we stop, and we just ask ourselves, do our prayers reflect this same courage? Like, let's ask, what does it look like to pray with courage? And I just want to be really transparent about this. Y'all, I have been so convicted about this this week. I don't know about you, but my courage to pray for crazy things often just kind of ebbs and flows. Like, I'm not saying I don't pray because I certainly do. I'm just not praying for things. Like, God, make the sun stand still. And when I do, I throw in the caveat of, well, maybe that's kind of like, let's kind of halfway expecting it not to happen. 
And why? Well, for me, it's because it's a way to protect myself of not being let down if it doesn't happen. And y'all, this is not okay. This is why it takes courage to pray for crazy, big, audacious things because of the fear of what if God doesn't work this, this out the way I want it to work out. Maybe because of us praying these crazy prayers in the past and God doesn't answer them or didn't answer them. Like when I prayed my heart out for God to save a man in our church on his deathbed. Or when we prayed for 10 people to be baptized at our very first service three years ago. And it took us over a year to see our very first person baptized. I mean, I could go on and on about unanswered prayers. And when our prayers don't get answered, it can really take the life out of us. Kind of like half-heartedly defeated before we even pray. But again, courage is taking action in spite of our fears. And so what do we do? We pray and beg God anyways. Like we continue to pray for God to do the impossible. And do you know why? Well, first, it's just because it's an act of worship to the Lord, plain and simple. But then secondly, we do it because he still answers those prayers still today. New City, God still reaches the unreached. God still restores relationships that seem way too far gone. God still heals the sick. God still provides when we don't see a way. God still changes the heart in a day. I mean, we could go on and on. But what I want to continually challenge us together, including myself, is to continually pray Ephesians 3.20 prayers for, prayers for God to do far more than we could ever ask or imagine. In New City, this takes so much courage to pray for absolutely ridiculous, nonsensical things in the world's realm of logic. Yes, we pray for God in all the small things and everyday things, but I also want to call us for pray, to pray for things that just don't make sense. Well, I've been reading a book by George Mueller on all the answered prayers God did for them as they were starting an orphanage. You know, it has been so inspiring. Like them not having food for their orphans, they pray and then food shows up that day at their door. Like this little book, time after time, of them praying for provision and God answering it. And no, it's not always in their timing, but yes, it's always in God's timing. But I also don't want you to think, yeah, well, that's a long time ago. Because God has done many things like this among us. Like maybe some of you remember this. Two years ago, in the middle of a COVID lockdown, our church decided to pray consistently for, for a year for five unreached villages in South Asia. We made cards and we prayed all year long while no missionaries were able to do anything. Like I personally just kept the card on my dashboard and prayed every time I got in the car. Several months later, once the missionaries got out of lockdown, they went to all five villages. Five out of five villages had brand new believers in all of them. All of them. And let's not, forget, like, let's not forget, this was in a season, in a COVID lockdown, when no one was able to go out at all. New City, God heard our prayers and he did the impossible. We cannot miss when God's people pray, God hears our prayers and it moves the hand of God that moves the world. Now, there are several people in our church who have seen and been a part of miraculous healings, like God physically healing people, laying hands on people and being healed. Like early on in our marriage, me and Kelly, we were broke as a joke, okay? Like she was still in school, I was working a full-time job, and we were just barely scraping by. Kelly had some dental pain. She goes to the dentist. She had her wisdom teeth taken out. We got a bill for thousands of dollars that we literally did not have. We got our, like, it's like that pit in your stomach, panicked. Kelly's praying. I'm like on my knees praying, begging God, not having a clue what to do. Within two days, we get a check in the mail. I kid you not, to the penny. Yes. 
Does God always answer our prayers like this every time? No. But does He answer our prayers if we don't ask? No. James 4.2, we have not because we ask not. New City, we pray and we pray and we pray. And again, we have to see here in the story with Joshua that God was already working. That God already made the promise of victory and Joshua was praying according to the promises and plans of God. You know, about nine months ago, I read through a book called Experiencing God. It was originally written in the 1990s and redone several times after that. But the whole premise of the book is to find out where God is working and join him in what God is already doing. Which is exactly what Joshua did when he prayed for God to make the sun stand still. Joshua didn't, make, didn't pray for God to make the sun stand still just for the fun of it, just to see a cool miracle. No, Joshua prayed this because God's promise of victory fueled that prayer and he saw God moving in mighty ways. And when he prayed, he ignited the purposes of God and he answered his prayers. And so when we pray, we should be praying towards the plans and purposes and promises of God. Here's just a few. Yo, God has made a promise that all people from all over the world will know Jesus, which means all people groups, not every person, but every people group will respond in faith. Which means we should pray uh, and give and go to places where there are like where, where there are people groups. And we and we do pray and we do give and we do go to these things. And we have a promise of victory here. We also know that God loves marriage. We know that God, uh, and God, God's purposes are for marriages to reflect the image and goodness of God, which means that if we commit to praying for our marriages to reflect the image of God, if both people in the marriage are praying for God to change them and display the gospel to the world consistently in a disciplined way, we have to believe that God will honor this. In evangelism, like we know that God will save some. He will not save all, but he will save some. And when we pray and share, and if we share consistently and pray consistently, we can have confidence that God will absolutely save some. Yo, we know that God has a unique heart for orphans and widows. And if we are praying for God to work among us and through us with orphans and widows, which we are, like we should expect God to move with total confidence. We also know that God loves the church and has made a promise that he will build his church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And we should see that and make a consistent and repeated effort to pray for our church, for the people in our church, for the people of God. Yo, know, in so many ways, God has shown his favor on New City in a very short amount of time. And we should see that God is working among us and it should lead us to pray even more fervently for God to move. I mean, just last week, I had a college guy tell me he just gave his life to Jesus. And he wants to get baptized. Just last week, I had several conversations with multiple people that are, God is calling into ministry and for some of them to move their life among the unreached around the world. New City, God is moving among us and I want to call us just like Joshua did to pray where God is already working in our midst to see him miraculously multiply our efforts to pour fuel on the fire of what God is already doing and not because we're great, but simply because we believe that God is able. Yo, I want to call us to pray with courage for our kids in our city in our marriages, pray for our church. Like, what does it look like to pray courageously for your family, to pray for your marriage with courage? What does it look like to pray courageously for your walk with Jesus and your own personal holiness? Like, what is that thing in your life that you're tired of praying for and you're about ready to throw in the towel? What does it look like to keep praying? Again, what does it look like to pray courageously for our church? What, like, what are the crazy dreams and prayers that God has placed on your heart for our church? Like, my desire from the very beginning has always been that the people in our church would have bigger dreams and visions for our church than I do. Y'all, just a, a gut check moment for me and us. 
Like I know so many of us have been praying for a new, more permanent space, and I know that our church is not bound by a building. But I also know they help immensely. Like they help facilitate and multiply ministries in ways that we're a little limited to right now. And when I look at the reality of it with the Tampa real estate, with, uh, we either need to pay at least eight times the cost of our current monthly bill just to be in this space for a long-term lease, or we pay at least $5 million to buy something, if not more, to own, to own something for the indefinite future. And after looking at this story, I've been challenged to pray for a $5 million check. <laughs> And as soon as I say that, like, I'm laughing. I think, like, that just seems silly. Like, absolutely, hilariously ridiculous. But you know, we could say the same thing about Joshua asking the sun and the moon to stand still. Like, absolutely, hilariously ridiculous. But you know what's even more ridiculous than a $5 million check? Like, our crazy long-term vision here at New City has nothing to do with the building or space. Like, buildings are just a mean to an end. Like my crazy dream for our church that I've been praying is that we'd have more missionaries than members and not because we joined it down to five people. Like when you think about it, this is absolutely hilariously ridiculous. And maybe for you personally, just ask, what are those absolutely hilariously ridiculous prayers that we're praying for yourself and your family and your community? Maybe they happen, maybe they don't. But I know one thing, when we pray them with the right motives, God is glorified regardless. It is all worship to the Lord. Whenever I pray crazy prayers like this, Mark uh, 9.24 makes so much sense to me. God, I believe, but help my unbelief. Like, God, I know you are able and I know you can. I believe, but God, please help my unbelief. In New City, what I want us to take away from this story is our one big main idea, and it's that God answers impossible prayers. And y'all, there is so much more we could say here, but like I said we would do, We're going to get back in our car and we're going to go, we're going to get back in our text and we're going to finish the journey in the last like seven or eight minutes of our time. Look at verse 15. Right after the note about the sun and the moon standing still, it says, so Joshua returned and all Israel with him to the camp at Gilgal. Kind of like it just, the story just ends. But then it jumps into what happens with these five kings. They kind of band against him. Look what it says, because it's still not over. This is really interesting. These five kings fled and hid themselves in the cave at Machida. And it was told to Joshua, the five kings have been found hidden in the cave at Machida. And then if we kept reading, we'd see them put these kings in the caves, protected by large stones and guards while they keep fighting. And then they finish the battle and they go and take the five kings out of the cave and they essentially executed these kings. It says in verse 26, he hung them on trees until night. Like it's a a bit shocking. But these kings, let's remember, None of them were innocent, all guilty. And look what it says down in verse 27. But the time of them going down of the sun, Joshua commanded and then took them down from the trees and threw them into the cave where they had hidden themselves. And they set large stones against the mouth of the cave, which remained to this very day. And then the battle ends. Like they won the battle just as God promised. And there are so many things we could point out to the end of this story, but as, uh, as people today who have our New Testament, when we see these five kings in battle, hiding, being locked up, put in a cave and executed, hung on a tree and put in a tomb, this should draw our attention in a contrasting way to our eternal King Jesus Christ, who was hung on the tree of the cross, who was placed just like these five kings in a cave with a stone placed in front of it. But New City, our king is different. It says those stones for those five kings are still there to this very day. Like those five kings are still in the tomb. 
Yes, Jesus was executed on the tree of the cross and put in the tomb, but our king did not stay there. No, he rose from the dead. The same power that made the sun stand still is the same power that rose Jesus from the dead. Those five kings that were taken out of the battle, they left their people to die in the battlefield helpless and hopeless. But New City, our King Jesus is the same God that made the sun stand still and that listens to the voice of his people. And he didn't leave the battle. No, he stayed and he fought for his people. Yes, they labored, but God clearly won the battle. New City, when we look back to this story of the sun standing still and the moon stopping, it should without a doubt call us and lead us to pray for the impossible prayers. But even more so for us today, our confidence comes when we look back to the cross and the empty tomb. Like we should be empowered knowing that our king didn't die and stay buried. No, our king, he never left the battle. Our king stayed on the cross. He defeated sin and death. And then all those who believe in Jesus, he then enters into our hearts. New City, we must understand that Jesus didn't leave the tomb to simply leave the earth and to go sit next to God. No, Jesus walked out of the grave, leaving the tomb empty so that he could enter into our hearts so that we can cry out to God, so that we can pray crazy, bold, courageous prayers that are in line with his purpose. New City, if Jesus' tomb was not empty, our prayers, they would never be heard. But the fact that that it is in fact empty, is evidence for us that Jesus hears our prayers and he still to this day listens in response to our prayers because Jesus is our great high priest who intercedes for us on our behalf. Y'all, we can believe in faith that when we gather to pray for the hearts of people to be open to the gospel and to respond in faith, that Jesus hears our prayers. Like because of the cross and resurrection, we can pray with courageous confidence that a revival on our campuses and our neighborhoods and in our families are possible. You know what, this this past week in George Mueller's book that I kind of referenced earlier, you know, as we kind of close and end our time, the author shared a story of how one guy came to faith. He began praying for his friends. Two more came to faith. They they started praying consistently, leading to a few more people. Uh, They all just continued to pray, and within two and a half years, literally thousands of people in their city came to Christ. Thousands. Like a a total revival broke out. And how did it begin? It began with prayer. With a few people consistently, week after week, praying and praying and praying, leading to more people, praying and praying and praying, week after week. And if you go back and look at every major revival, almost all of them start with prayer. There's a committed group of people that consistently pray, which y'all, we do this every week in our groups. But it's also why here at New City, we've started a prayer team. Like right now we have simply people praying after the service with people who like prayer. But let's just ask and dream, what could God do when a a group of people regularly gather to pray? Like crazy, bold, crazy, crazy, audacious prayer, praying for life change and salvation and revival. You know, we already do this a few times a year as a church, but let's just dream how many more people would come to Christ? How many more marriages would find restoration? How would our families and our communities be, be different? How many unreached people groups would come off the map? New City, if Jesus rose from the dead and if God heeds the voice of his people and if the God of the universe lives inside of us, what can God accomplish when his people come together and fervently pray in line with the purposes of God? Yo, my hope and prayer is that our prayer team would just be bursting at the seams with people, consistently just praying week after week. Because when God's people pray in line with his purposes, New City, God responds.
Let's pray. God, you're so good to us. You're so kind to us. God, we pray that we would be a people, that we would be known as a people that pray courageously in faith, believing that you can do the impossible. God, we know that each and every single one of us have these major things in our life. We're just asking for a miracle. God, we pray that we would believe in faith, that we would see uh, courageous prayers as an act, firstly, as an act of worship. God, we love you. We're thankful for the cross. We're thankful that the tomb is empty and that you hear our prayers and that you respond. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.